Hey guys, today's reading is taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that as we think about your word, that it would take root in our lives and that we would live it out through this week ahead, for we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. It is really good to be with you this evening, and I want to thank you, Exeter Network Church, for being who you are and for doing what you do. Just being here tonight, seeing the way that you've adapted um, your worship and the way that you are, your mission and your loving care for all those around you and in this city. And it's wonderful to be revisiting the book of Ruth. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. Sandwiched as it is between that weighty tome of Judges and then all that book of the prophet Samuel, it's this tiny little book that sits there in the middle. And yet it has this big message. And it's so relevant for all of us right now with all that we are facing. And I'm going to focus from that passage we just heard read on three particular words that spoke to me out of the reading. And they are generosity, relationship, and providence. Generosity is a continual theme of the book of Ruth. And not just generosity, but a real going beyond what might normally be hoped for or expected. The book had started with that famine in the land when food was scarce. And Naomi and her family were so desperate, they had to leave Bethlehem, go to another country, to the land of Moab. A lot has happened since then, and you've been following this in your series. But by the time we get to the verses tonight, in contrast with the famine that started our story, the harvest is now in full flow. Those years of scarcity and loss are behind them. The land is fruitful, and there is plenty. 
Food scarcity has been in the news this last week, and we've had an example of the very opposite of generosity. Pictures that you may have seen posted on social media of food parcels supplied to families, supposedly to feed a child for a week. And it was such a sad sight, this unappetizing and minimal uh, box of things that had been given. And the thing that summed it up for me was half a carrot. Somebody had spent time chopping up a carrot to give somebody a half. In contrast, I've had conversations with some clergy this week who have demonstrated the power of generosity that goes beyond the minimum, that goes way beyond, and has enabled things to change. One told me about a food larder which has started in a small church porch, and as the need has grown, the larder has grown, and they now have it in their church building and are able to feed those who are in need. A generous response from the whole community. Another told me of becoming aware that for one family in need, their fridge had packed up. And within hours, there had been offers to fund a new one. And I know that we in the church, we could tell more stories of this generosity and how generosity is infectious. And when you hear about it, and when one person gives, others catch that impulse, and they want to give too. And also when I'm on the receiving end of generosity, it makes me want to be generous to others. There's this wonderful cycle of giving and of grace. Throughout the book of Ruth, it is generosity, a generosity that goes beyond what is expected, that moves the story on significantly. Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. She doesn't have to go with Naomi. And there's absolutely no judgment on Orpah in earlier chapter for going back to her family. The love between all of them is apparent. But it's Ruth who goes beyond. Her love and faithfulness go beyond what might be hoped for. As a result of that, her life is changed, and so is Naomi's, and so, very big spoiler alert if you don't know the whole story, so is the nation of Israel and the salvation that will come to the world through Jesus Christ. There is an awful lot riding on these small events where people go beyond the necessary. And here in our verses, it's Boaz's turn to be generous and to go beyond. Ruth is the foreigner. How often in our readings have we heard her called Ruth the Moabite, identified by her nationality. And she's gleaning in the field of Boaz, but then she, the foreigner, has been called over to eat with him. He invites her to the meal. He heaps her plate with the food and she eats until she is full and has some left over. I wonder if that rings a bell for you, that eating till you're full and having left over as Jesus when he fed the 5,000. There's not just enough, there is more than enough and it's overflowing and abundant. And then as they go back to the fields for the afternoon, Boaz instructs his men to pull out extra handfuls so that Ruth may glean even more. 
The law, which all the Israelites were meant to follow, was that those in need could follow the harvesters and glean from the edge of the field. Boaz has completely understood the true purpose of the law, which is not to restrict, but is to go further, expressing the love of God. That primary command to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength will spill over into love for neighbor. And there's no law against it. Love, joy, kindness, against such there's no law. You can do them as much as you like. No one is to stop you. I wonder how this generosity sounds to you, this generosity of God, this overflowing, this abundance the contrast with half a carrot in a measly box and the gleanings that are offered to Ruth. I want to be generous and I recognize it is an attitude of spirit and a choice. And it is a choice whether to open up my heart and my life or to defend it. And I'm intrigued by Naomi in our story. Her name means sweet one. But when she comes back to Bethlehem, having lost her husband and her two sons, she says, don't call me sweet any longer. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For I went away full and I came back empty. But I notice that as the story has continued from there, nobody is referring to Naomi as Mara. Nobody is calling her bitter. Naomi has suffered greatly, but she's still sweet one. She is still Naomi, and she hasn't lost hope. She's had the love of both her daughters-in-law and the companionship of Ruth, who stayed with her. And when she came back to Bethlehem, at the beginning of the harvest, it was this sign of hope. Naomi and those around her did not permit bitterness to have the last word, didn't permit anything to close that down to the extent where she couldn't receive the generosity of God. Not long ago, I was listening to the radio and heard a survivor from the Holocaust, talk about all the horrors and the losses that she had endured as a young child. And yet here she was in her old age, living a happy and fulfilled life in the United States. The interview itself, surprisingly, was full of laughter. And when the interview asked her, how had she managed this? She said, we must remember the horror and we must never forget the evil, but I choose in my own heart not to build a house and live there. We have that choice. Where do we build our lives? Where are we building our own sense of who we are? And how might we choose to live from a house and from a place of generosity and of abundance rather than of scarcity? I wonder what difference that could make in the week ahead. And I wonder if we might set ourselves the challenge, not just of doing the right thing, but of going beyond it. 
I once heard that the verse, God loves a cheerful giver, could be translated, God loves a hilarious giver. And I get the feeling that you could have quite a lot of fun with that, with your hilarious giving in the week ahead. My second word, and uh, much more briefly on this one, is the word relationship. And I want to read you verses 20 and 21, which John read at the beginning of the service. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay close by my servants until they have finished all of the harvest. As we've already said, Ruth is defined as being the Moabite, the one from the other country. She's also frequently referred to as Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. But look closely at verse 20. Naomi says to Ruth, the man is a relative of ours. He is one of our nearest kin. Ruth is no longer the foreigner or the daughter-in-law. She is one of the family. Naomi is saying, Ruth and I, he is a relative of ours. Our relationships are expressed in many different ways, stepsons and half-sisters and blended families, in-laws, outlaws in some families, adopted, our partner, our spouse. A great number of different ways of identifying our relationships. Our names, too, often reveal something of family and of where we are from. What I know for sure is that when God looked at Ruth, he wasn't thinking, it's Ruth the Moabite, it's Ruth the daughter-in-law. He looks at Ruth as Ruth, as his beloved child, as one of God's own family. And when he looks at you and me, he simply sees us, he knows us. He knows us and he loves us, no labels, just beloved child. There are not outsiders in the kingdom of God. There are not foreigners. You're not related by marriage. We are all loved and all God's children. And if you're watching this and you are on your own this evening, please know that we are all part of this family of God that you are looked at by God as beloved child and connected with all your brothers and sisters in God's family. So generosity and relationship. And then my third word, again running through the whole story, is providence. Not a word that's used, but providence is the conviction that life, however it may look on the surface, is unfolding within God's purposes, even if at times there might seem to be no sign of him. Providence is not the same as positive thinking or looking on the bright side, and it is much more nuanced than saying God is in control. 
It is a belief that life is intimately involved in God and God is intimately involved with life and that at all times a greater story is being told. When Naomi suffered her bereavement, she was no doubt in a place of loss and despair. The book of Ruth is not an example of a kind of sticking plaster faith that God will make everything all right. It's an example of the deepest faith and trust in God, that in life and in death, the love of God is stronger. Through this time of the global pandemic, there may be those who have blamed God, asked why such an evil disease could exist. And there may be those who say, perhaps God is punishing us. And there are some who say that God, if there is such a being, doesn't intervene or care. But what the book of Ruth shows us and the doctrine of providence holds is that God is present through the struggles of life and that a bigger story is being told, and that we are right to look for meaning and to look for hope, because life is not pointless and suffering is not the end. The love and care and purposes of God are greater than the purest present, sorry, are greater than the present evidence that is sometimes before us. And even if life is going horribly wrong, and God may seem absent, yet there is faith and hope. We sang earlier, great heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be thou my vision, O ruler of all. So believing God's providence gives us this rock to stand on, this place in which to interpret the events around us. When we read in verse 20, Naomi's statement of faith, did we really take that on board? Blessed be he, Boaz, who by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. It is the kindness of God that lies behind the kindness of human beings, a kindness that has not forsaken the living or the dead. The Hebrew word translated here as kindness is a really beautiful word. In Hebrew, it's the word hesed. It's a word that's used of God's faithful covenant, of God's unswerving love and loyalty. It's sometimes translated in English as loving kindness, but none of our translations really do justice to the depth and the breadth of this word. The Lord was with Naomi. It's that trustworthy commitment, that absolutely reliable love. The Lord was with Naomi, was with Ruth. They are held in that steadfast covenant, loving kindness of God that came through them for the people of Israel and through them for the world. I think we're reminded at the moment that our lives too are dependent on God. We've become so much more aware of our own fragility, of our mortality. We are dependent on this providential God of steadfast love and of covenant kindness 
a kindness that doesn't forsake us in life or in death. Every breath we take is by his life, and we wouldn't exist without the sustaining power and love of God flowing in and through this world. And so we trust ourselves again to him, to the God who is with us in the glory and the pain, and in whom the bigger story of salvation and redemption is always wonderfully being told. Thanks be to God. Amen.